I just came by to stir your soul up a bit. This is the Perfectly Imperfect Podcast with Regina and Christine, where we share our stories as women openly and honestly. We believe it's through our journeys, our happy and sad times that connect us as sisters, because we're all perfectly imperfect. Hi, Christine here. Before we go into today's episode, I wanted to let you guys know we started our official Instagram account for Perfectly Imperfect. So if you haven't already, please follow us at perfectly.imperfect.podcast. I know that's a lot of words and periods. <laughs> so you can also follow us individually. Regina's Instagram is regina.fang and mine is xoxochristinechen. And you'll be able to find Perfectly Imperfect's Instagram linked through our Instagrams. So just wanted to announce that and that we love you so much. And here's today's episode. And welcome back to Perfectly Imperfect. I am Christine. And I'm Regina. Oh my gosh, it's Asian month. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. Where it was like, is it Asian Pacific Heritage Month? I think that's Asian Awareness Month. I, I was Christine Asian calls it. I know. Isn't there like API or something? API? Island Pacific Islander Month? Yeah. So, so it's just easier. It's just Asian month. Asian month. Yeah. Asia. Just all of Asia. <laughs> this is our month. Yes. May. May. It's going to be May. No? Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually just telling Regina the random tidbit that I was talking to my dad the other day. And apparently for our Chen family, there's like this book that's being passed down from like generation to generation. And it started from our Chen clan. The third generation started that. And that was during the Qing dynasty. Wow. I think that's in the 1600s or maybe earlier than that. Every generation of men Mm -hmm. has passed on this book. And basically, you're responsible for that generation of like who your brothers. None of the girls are mentioned. Wow. Because they're not important. So only the men, the brothers, and the wives are recorded. And then like you write your profession Mm -hmm. when people die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just really interesting to hear about this lineage of people that, or men apparently, that I've obviously never known about. Yeah. But this is my tree. I feel like that's wild. Like to think that your ancestors, like people whose DNA is part of your own, wrote these things over the course of, I don't know what, three, maybe 400 years? Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. That's so, so crazy. And you just get to see how every generation, like, I think my dad said, like, it was the ninth generation Mm -hmm. that moved from China to Taiwan. Mm. And then they were like farmers there. And then our family now owns a lot of land from Taiwan, because at the time, it was just countryside. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they just bought a lot of land. So it's just really cool to see the migration and the different professions, like the third generation, the guy who started this, Mm -hmm. he was a general in the Qing dynasty. My dad was like going through all the generations. And he's like, Oh, yeah, all the Chen men pretty much die at like, (laughs) 50 or 60. Oh, no. Yeah. And that my current grandma, which is my dad's mom, she's 97. So out of everybody in our entire past, including their wives, she's outlived them by 20, 25 years. Wow. Like, I think the oldest wife to have lived, lived to like age like 70. 
Wow. And then my grandma's at like 97 right now. Damn. She's like, that's right. Yeah. She's like, that's what you get. <laughs> it's that like American soil that she moved over here. Yeah. <laughs> the diet added 25 years to her wow. life. Wow. Yeah. I think that's so crazy to be able to like look back at these names and be like, wow, those are people who are related to me. Yeah. These are people that walk the earth, had their own lives and dreams, battles and insecurities, maybe mental health, maybe health issues and all that and they're no longer here anymore right but our family remains as everything that they've sacrificed Mm -hmm. and done and lived for us to be here and survive yeah. And now the entire weight of that is on my brother. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's the one who gets the book, right? He's the yeah. oldest grandson. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He's the only Chen grandson. grandson. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But my dad said, starting from this generation, he's oh. going to start including girls. Oh, yeah. So I'll be in the book. <laughs> <laughs> big moves. Big moves. Yeah. Christine Chen survived to age 40. Yeah. <laughs> Had one Pomeranian. <laughs> Cause of death surrounded by too many Pomeranians. Yeah. And milk tea. Yeah. <laughs> People in the future are like, who the hell is this? Yeah. They're like, oh my God, let's erase her from the book. <laughs> Why is she here? <laughs> that's so special that your family has this like heirloom that's yeah. been passed down from generation to generation. Apparently my mom's side has it too. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh. I was telling Regina, I was like, maybe you guys... Maybe there's a maybe. I don't know. I'll have to ask my parents about this. I know that like my dad is quite a sentimental person, so he like likes to keep a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we, because of China's like tumultuous history, like a lot of like valuable stuff got lost Mm -hmm. or taken away Mm -hmm. or thrown away or burned or whatever. So I feel like right now, I the oldest stuff that we have is mainly from like my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. then, I think my dad's side of the family, like their house, like had a leak, and so it like ruined a lot of photos and stuff like that, oh. which he was really bummed about. But one thing my dad does have from both of my grandfathers is like a bottle of alcohol <laughs> that he like literally like took from their apartments uh-huh. when we were like cleaning them out and stuff. And like it's in our house right now, like in our oh. bar area, we have like a bottle from each of my grandfather's oh, that's houses. So cool! Is it whiskey? Yeah. I think one of them is whiskey. I think that the other one is like baijiu. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so it's never been opened. Never been that? opened. Oh. Are you, Probably is, will never be opened. Really? What about for your wedding? Can no, I have some? I, yeah. <laughs> she, next time she comes over, she just opens it. Yeah. She's like, oh, is this for me? I want to taste some of that <laughs> thing heritage. I feel like I don't even know if the like alcohol is good anymore. Like, is it good over time? It gets better? I don't know. I think some are meant to be kept and then some are not. <laughs> Bad. Yeah, it's like bad. I I have no idea. Remember your grandparents got it from like Trader Joe's. Yeah, like the two buck <laughs> their chunk. version. Yeah, it's like a two buck chunk that we have like as a prized <laughs> like heirloom, and I pass it on to my children. <laughs> this is from your great 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 grandfather. Yeah. It's from Trader Joe's. Chunk. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I mean, it's about the sentimental value. Exactly. Well, I think that is a great transition into today's topic. Yes. Which I'm really excited to talk about because we've never talked about this, surprisingly. Yeah, I feel like it's like come up like in little bouts, but it's never been a topic that we dived into. Right, right. As deeply as we will today. Ooh. So tell us, share with the world. What are we talking about today, Regina? Today, we're going to talk about our identity as Asian American women. Yes. I think that for both of us, I think that we both had very different experiences in what it means to be an Asian American woman. And I feel like we didn't even really know what that meant. 
Right. I think growing up in 66, we talk about this a lot, but I think that for us, we were surrounded by a lot of first gens where we had this like very heavy responsibility of paving the way or paving the path of trying to figure out what it actually means to be Asian American and to bridge the gap between language, culture, and generations. Yeah. In basically foreign country to our parents, mm-hmm. but the native country to us. Yeah. I think for both of us, whenever we would travel back to the the motherland, all of our relatives would make us very aware of the fact that we are not from there. Mm-hmm. We are American children, mm-hmm. that we are not Asian. We are American. For well, you- I don't think it's like, you're not Asian. You're just American. You're American. Yeah. 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 You're more American than you are. Like you weren't born in the motherland. Yeah, right? exactly. I remember for me, my relatives would always be like, oh, I can see it from like a mile away mm-hmm. that you're just not from here. Yeah. Like I could just pinpoint it. <laughs> And then I think coming back to like wearing a shirt, I'm Asian. (laughs) And then, you know, when you come back to the U.S., people like look at you and automatically assume that you're not American. Mm -hmm. I think growing up, it doesn't occur to you as much until you get older. And then you're like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, I don't really fit in to the standard of what it means to be either. Right. So, yeah, today we just really wanted to dive into our past experiences of being an Asian American woman and how that's allowed us to blossom into the women that we are today. Absolutely. So then why don't we start with our upbringing Mm -hmm. and how it was growing up here in America, but with Asian parents who instilled pretty traditional values in us while we're watching TGIF Fridays with like very white families on TV or very black families on TV. Actually, no, they were black, but they, I actually think looking back now, they were modeled as white families. Yes, for sure. Right? Yeah. That's all we could consume. That's all was, that was like available to us. That's all that we thought Americans should be. And Mm -hmm. at that age, you think that's you. Mm -hmm. But you're also starting to be aware that my parents don't act like TV parents. Mm -hmm. So there's a disconnect there. But yet at that young age, like for me, I was like, I'm going to do as I'm told. Yeah. I don't think I argued with my parents up until maybe high school. Mm. But before then, it was completely like, yeah, whatever they I just do as I'm told. Right. Yeah. And my friends did the same thing. Yeah. 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 I think for me growing up, I didn't really question question it. It was quite easy for me to be able to separate the two where it's like, oh, that's TV. And then this is like family life. I think as I got into like my more teenage years, like probably like middle school, high school, I started to realize like, why is it the TV does one thing, but we do another. Mm -hmm. And I think growing up around a lot of other Asians too, like I feel grateful for that because I don't think that we were as ridiculed for using chopsticks, taking off our shoes and all those like customs that I think people who grew up maybe more in like Midwest or areas where there weren't as many Asians had to deal with. But I think this most striking difference was like TV and real life. Right. They didn't match up. Yeah. And I didn't know why. Yeah. Yeah. And I think growing up in Arcadia 66 area where there's a lot of Asians like us and Asian Americans, there was not a lot of questioning, you Mm -hmm. know, as in everybody was an overachiever. Mm -hmm. If you weren't getting into honors classes, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. So I guess it makes sense being that age. You're not really conscious yet. You're just growing. Yeah, exactly. So whatever your friends are doing, if your friends are all studying, Mm -hmm. which is strange, Mm -hmm. if you think about it now, everyone's studying, everyone's trying to get into the best college because we're all being fed the same story right you want to get into the best college so then you can become this this and this and then dot 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 (laughs) yeah I feel like our parents all kind of came with one mindset 
Mm-hmm. Like I, my kids have to go to college, mm-hmm. right? And they will go to the best college. I don't think that it's strange that we didn't question it. It was just like, oh, well, that's what everyone else is doing. Right. So like, I'm going to do that too. Like, it wasn't weird to go to after school. But I remember being in New York and telling people like, oh yeah, I went to an after school for like PSAT prep. They're like, oh, at what age? I was like, actually like fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. They were like, why? Yeah. Like those things didn't occur to me until much later. Yeah. I didn't find out until recently that it's not custom for high schools to test into getting into honors or AP classes. Wait, what? (laughs) There are high schools that you sign up to be in honors or AP. What? Yeah. Oh Oh my gosh. Yes. Even that type of stuff is just still mind blowing at 35. I'm like, what do you mean? That's not how life works. Oh my God. I remember the days where we had to take the test and like wait in line and try to see if our name was on the list. On that piece of paper with your ID number. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. And then you see people turn around and go, yes. Yeah, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> like the whole life was flashing before their eyes, like oh disappointment to their family, gosh. failure, dishonor, yeah. <laughs> dishonor on your family, on your ancestors, exactly <laughs> on your cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's all that plus being a girl, mm-hmm. right? So coming as a minority as Asians, you add on the element of being a girl. Mm-hmm. So at a young age for me, I was already being put into pretty strict parameters of mm-hmm. things that I could and couldn't do as mm-hmm. a girl. Yeah, And things weren't as a parent until my brother came along. Mm. Because to me, I think before it was just wear this dress. Don't run too fast. Don't talk too loud. Don't uh, sit like know. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, girls don't shout. You know, everything was like, girls don't do this. Mm-hmm. Girls are do like, oh, in the future, when you become someone's wife, mm-hmm. you have to remember this and this and this and this. I just distinctly remember already like being told who I am naturally is not who I should be. Mm. It started at a young age. What about mm. for you? I definitely had a lot of those as well. I think that for me, it was more so rules of like what I could and couldn't do. Mm-hmm. I'm a girl and I'm an only child. So I feel like my parents amplified on the whole like overprotectiveness of mm-hmm. everything. I didn't have a sibling to compare with. I have a friend who is the oldest of three. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to like see her mother like slowly let go of the reins with each child Mm -hmm. versus for me, my parents only had me. And so I feel like- they still only have you. And they still only (laughs) have me. There's still things that now I still deal with. Like you're a girl, you shouldn't wear dresses that short. You know, you're a girl, you shouldn't stay out so late. I had a lot of that like, oh, no shouting and blah, blah, blah. And in like so many ways, I think I started to realize I am that stereotype that people talk about when they refer to Asian women. It was becoming that. And like, I was a pretty like soft-spoken child. I was a happy kid, but like, I don't think I was like outspoken. And that was because that was like never taught to me. I was always taught to keep your opinions to yourself. Like don't cross boundaries. Don't make a situation bigger than it is. Like Mm -hmm. just keep it contained. Exactly, exactly. It didn't really occur to me until like these more recent years when things like the Women's March came out and like the Me Too movement of like women actually speaking out that I realized like, oh, wait, I've experienced that before, but I suppressed it down because my parents told me to. Internalized it, pushed it away. Mm -hmm. And because we didn't talk about it before, a lot of times you're just like, it's just me. I think that it's hard to like dig that deep into yourself Mm -hmm. and like vocalize it. Yeah. Because then it's not instinct. Well, at a young age, you're being Mm -hmm. taught and told to not be those things, not think those things. Or if you do, there's something wrong with you, right? So what we're telling you, this is how you should be. So anything Mm -hmm. that's outside of this box, Mm -hmm. find a way to get rid of it. That's not what you as an Asian female should be, act, or think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember having these conversations with my friends who aren't Asian American 
American. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, wait, what? <laughs> like your parents tell you to keep your opinions to yourself. Your parents tell you to not speak up. Mm-hmm. I remember having a f- conversation with one of my friends. She's African-American and like her mom encouraged her to speak mm-hmm. out. And I remember very specifically in meetings at work, she would always be the first one to mm-hmm. like be like, oh, hey, what do we think about this? Ask questions and stuff like that. I internally felt a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to be like, wait, I want to speak up too. Like, I feel like I want to participate in the conversation, but I was like, so in my head of like, oh my God, what if I ask a dumb question? Or like, what if we already talked about this? Or like, what if I should already know this? That like, I just would stay silent. Yeah. And then finally I'd be like, oh, oh, okay, okay. I got a really good question. Or like, I have something important to say. I would wait so long that someone else would say it. Mm-hmm. Or like, I would just get so in my head because it wasn't my first instinct to be like, oh, I have an opinion. I'm going to say it. It was like, I have an opinion. Let me put it through like 10 different filters yeah, and then say it. Right, right. Absolutely. And I think that's growing up and growing into adulthood, mm-hmm. that's how it's manifested into us being grown Asian women now and how mm-hmm. we show up in the world and understanding how and where these stereotypes come from. But then we're also coming to a sense of awareness. And I think the part of our spirit that recognizes that something isn't quite right is that feeling like we don't really belong. Mm-hmm. Who are we? Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be all these things. The more that we try to be, the more that we think we're doing the things that we're supposed to do, but then we we don't feel the way that we think we should or that we're told that we will, then it doesn't connect, mm-hmm. right? And that's where that sense of like, is this it? Mm-hmm. Is there more? Is there something wrong with me? Who am I? Yeah. And I think those are the feelings that at least in my 20s started to come about and talking to a lot of people like the 20s is when you really start tumultuous yeah you start really having that internal battle because you think you've been working your entire life to get to this point to do all these things that you're supposed to do and then you do it you do it or then you don't you know because it doesn't turn out that way yeah the feeling I think the word that describes it just feels you feel lost you know, working in the Asian American community, I think also gave you and me another perspective. Mm-hmm. Working at Wang Fu and then working with a lot of other Asian Americans, I realized there's like this collective sense of people wanting to belong mm-hmm. and wanting to be a part of something bigger. It's really understandable when you think about it because growing up in America, we're too Asian. Growing up in Asia, we're too American. When we try to blend in and fit in and get accepted and we don't get that from even our own family within our own friends, then there's this overwhelming sense of I don't belong anywhere. Mm -hmm. Who am I? So maybe you try on different roles. You try to find yourself in work. You try to find yourself in different things. And then that also doesn't feel quite right then it's understandable why there's like a collectiveness of like, oh my God, I want to connect with somebody else that understands this. Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those things too, where when you grow up in a different culture from your parents, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get them to understand that because to them, they feel like they did their part, which they did, right? Like to them, they're like, oh, all we wanted to do was to bring our kids here yeah. and give them a life that was better than ours. And that's what they did. And they're like, all right, cool. Now do everything that I tell you to do. And we're all good. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and I think that too, with Asian parents, for them, what you said earlier was like, this was a completely different culture for them. So they're doing their best too, right? They're trying to adapt 
celebrate these holidays called Thanksgiving and Christmas and try to immerse themselves in American culture. But there's still a lot of things that like they just don't understand or they don't know how to do or don't really know what the protocol is. It's strange growing up as an Asian American because then you end up having to take on this responsibility in the household where you're not the woman or man of the household, but you have to help them. Suddenly you're kind of the voice of authority in that sense in a reversal role because you understand the social cues, you understand the language, translate, and then it's almost like what you viewed your parents as kind of the all knowing, you start realizing, okay, there are barriers. Yeah. So then now you have to bridge that. Yeah. And that can be a very jarring experience as you get older and into adulthood. You start seeing, I guess, the edges of what makes your parents human. Mm -hmm. And then you can really start to empathize and have compassion with what they've been through Mm -hmm. and what they're currently still going through, Mm -hmm. making a living for not only themselves, but their family in a foreign country. Yeah, for sure. And Mm -hmm. I think that the thing that's crazy, too, is that like these two entities, like us and our parents, like we just so desperately want to understand each other. Mm -hmm. But it's hard because there is that barrier. And like, as we're growing up and trying to find our voices, the fundamental of it is that like, we may not also always agree with our parents. Right. Like when we become more outspoken, they're like, mm, maybe you shouldn't have said it that way. Or like, mm-hmm. oh, you really shouldn't be doing that. There is this disconnect where you want your parents to be proud of you for standing up and speaking out. And then they're kind of like, mm, why did you do that? Just kind of little things like that, that kind of pick away at you. And in a world where we're encouraged to speak up and be vocal, but it's not our instinct to do so. And then we get criticized about it by our parents. It can kind of feel like a step back Mm -hmm. in our journey of like becoming ourselves. Right. Going off of what you just said, it's like, you know, if you see something happening, if you see a fight or injustice happen and Mm -hmm. you want to step in and be like, no, that's not right. Or speak up in some way. Most likely your parents are like, don't get involved. Yeah. Why would you get involved? And there's logic to what they're saying. And I can see that as like self-preservation. And Mm -hmm. this is what they've done to survive. Yeah, exactly. But then as people growing up in America, and even just a person, Mm -hmm. sometimes you're just like, no, I feel like that's not right. And I want to say something about it and do something. And there's that conflict because so much of our inner voice and our inner critics are just records of our parents Mm -hmm. because that's what we grew up with. And that's kind of been our compass or go-to voice that criticizes here and there because we've internalized that. There's that battle of what is your own Mm self-truth. And I think as you come into your 20s, and then we're speaking it from like a women's perspective, realizing as we get older, there's so many different things of what we're supposed to be now in this modern age, where in our heritage, it's like, okay, we've been groomed and brought up to how do you be the best wife? Mm -hmm. And you have to know how to cook. You have to be maternal. You have to get ready to like have kids as well as now dual income. How are you going to make money? How are you going to support your family and husband? Are you going to be independent boss lady, but have to be timid, but you're too sensitive. Now you're not sensitive enough. You have to speak up, like learn self-defense, but then be Be scared walking home in the dark or to your car late Mm -hmm. at night because you could be raped. You can't date non-Asian men because yellow fever and that's on you, Asian women, rejecting Asian men. There's like just so many rules and boundaries to what we can and can't do with our own lives. Mm -hmm. Even with our own bodies with, can you have abortion? The pill, there's a real lack of control over our own lives in that sense where of society kind of imposing all these things for us. So viewing it in that sense, it can be really suffocating. <laughs> <laughs> I 
feel like I can't breathe right now just listening to you list all those right. things. But I've felt every single one of them. Right. Where it's just like, I just want to be me. Why are there all these people trying to tell me who I can and can't be? And whether that's society or my parents or just like even my own thoughts because I've been bred this way. Yeah. It's frustrating because then you lose a sense of self. Right. But who is our sense of self, right? That's the real question. And I think that's the question as a collective Asian American community, I feel like I've always noticed is our theme. Mm -hmm. Like, who are we? Mm -hmm. And probably we could expand that even further. And it's probably a universal human theme. But for the most part, as an Asian American, that's what I realized within our community and noticing that, especially working at Wang Fu, you know, whether people that follow or have come into the circle, there is that who are we as Asian Americans? Americans. Are we the crazy rich Asians? Mm-hmm. What do we lash onto that collectively identifies and accurately captures who we are as people? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just too momentous of a thing to be defined and put into a box. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many debates even within the community of like, well, you know, we, we all just have to band together despite being different types of Asians. If we don't all come together, then we're never going to make any progress. For me, being in the community actually made me even more aware of the things that I, again, don't necessarily fit in or belong. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but being in the community, there's almost this additional pressure that yeah. like we all kind of have to think the same. support the same things, say the same things, all be in alliance that this is how we're going to do. Like all Asian American women who are in the community are this one person. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think it's not just Asian American women, but just Asian Americans in general. Yeah, I can see why it grew so quickly. I remember like that 2008, 9 period where it was just like a boom. I think it was the first time we saw people who look like us, Mm -hmm. who were doing this YouTube thing. This is like the budding of social media where like we finally saw our faces Mm -hmm. in other people. And I think that even though, you know, you and I were surrounded by that every day, but to see someone gain popularity because of it was like revolutionary. I think that it was just like, so wow, this is awesome. And I think that that's what made me want to be part of that community because then I was like, wow, I can see other people who look like me, who think like me, who feel like me. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty unheard of at that time. And then now it's grown and grown and grown into this like bigger community. And I think it's really awesome. I think that obviously we're new at So there are still kinks that we need to get out. Mm -hmm. But I think overall, seeing it grow over the fact that we are all able to relate, the fact that you guys are all listening to this podcast right now and saying like, oh my gosh, yes, I felt that way. That's a powerful thing. Right. From what you just said, it probably was the first time ever for a lot of Asian Americans or just Asians in general to feel proud Mm -hmm. to be Asian. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the underlying thing looking at it is that we just wanted to feel loved and accepted and heard in our own skin. Yeah. In modern days, YouTube did that for us. Mm-hmm. And all these people, I say the golden age of Asian YouTubers, at the time, I think it really felt genuine that these Asian people were coming out as who they were. Like mm-hmm. Jen from Head to Toe was not trying to get surgery for her mm-hmm. monolids, you yeah. know? And Wang Fu were a bunch of seemingly awkward, nice guys. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to walk around being quote unquote cool and gangster or whatever is cool then, mm-hmm. you know? They were just showing up as them. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And I think a lot of Asians and Asian Americans really identified with that, with that sentiment of, wow, I can just be me, Mm -hmm. awkward, monolid. I dress in my own, yeah, soft-spoken, dressed in my own way and maybe not necessarily fit into these specific stereotypical boxes as an Asian, Asian American. And other people can relate. Mm -hmm. I'm not alone in this. As much as we grew up in a primarily Asian culture in 626, it still felt pretty lonely at times because we weren't brought up to really share those thoughts or feelings. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't talk about any of these things with my friends until my 20s. Mm. Yeah, it was just ingrained in our culture to not really speak about those things or even be aware of what those thoughts meant of who are we. Mm -hmm. In essence, I think as a community or as an Asian American woman, a lot of it has been trying to find my identity in a lot of different things. And now that I'm at this point and being a life coach and trying to really dig in deeper, just really realizing that my identity or who I am, it's not tied to anything. It's all a construct, you know, meaning I can still honor the roles that I am as in I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an Asian American woman and honor that the best that I can. However, that doesn't define me. Mm -hmm. I am not just all those things. I am limitless and boundless beyond that. And the whole point of that is because we are all here to break barriers, customs, traditions, old ways of thinking that have really limited us. And not just as Asian Americans, just people in general, it's time to evolve and change. And it takes people who are different or being able to find the courage to step into those boundless roles. Like, what does that mean? To think beyond the boxes. Because if you're only in those boxes that the world has set for you, then it's really hard to break out of that because that's your perspective. That's all you see. But if you can see that you're so much more than that, the human spirit, your whole purpose, your whole being here is just to be who you are, exactly who you are and what you've learned and taken with you because nobody else can do that. And it takes that type of person to break boundaries and barriers. And I really believe because like you said, we are the first, maybe some second generation Asian Americans that the times are shifting. Mm -hmm. Times are always shifting. At the end of this, what quote unquote separates us in these stereotypes are really just things, what I'm realizing to highlight how we're all really connected. Because despite our quote unquote differences, as in I have black hair, she has blonde hair, I grew up here, she grew up there. In essence, we still feel a lot of the same things as a human. No matter where you grow up, how you're brought up, who your family is, there's still a common human element of feeling lonely, feeling like you want to be heard and wanting to be comfortable in just being versus doing Mm -hmm. and trying to search for purpose and meaning. That really brings the connectedness of who we are. And that's the identity of being able to be just who you are. Mm-hmm. And being encouraged and inspired by your culture and not ashamed of it and right. just embracing it as a part of who you are, you know, like you with your book of Chen's, yeah. you know, like that history is there, but it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to define you that there are only men's names that are in that book. This is a new time, a new chapter for us to do what speaks to us. At the end of the day, a lot of us, we want to do things for us, but we also want to do things for our parents. Like we want to make them 
become proud. As much as they don't understand the stuff that we do, like explaining why we to do it and why we do it, like explaining to our parents why we do this podcast, I think that they are proud that they are, you know, now raising the next generation of people who are willing to speak out and tell their stories too. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, to them, those are their personal stories and that's something that they keep near and dear to their heart. I do think that it makes my parents happy when I tell the world about their upbringing and their struggles of how they came to be, mm-hmm. even if they're not the ones to be telling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is honoring your culture. Mm-hmm. There is a really hard balance, especially as Asian Americans, to feel like you're disrespecting your parents if you don't do exactly as they say. Mm-hmm. But as we get older and you come into adulthood and you have your own life, your own thoughts, and your own reasons and logic that you're definitely going to encounter those conflicts. Mm-hmm. You know, just mom and dad, trust me, like, mm-hmm. let me be me. Yeah. What I'm learning now, especially now that I'm turning 35, is that it's totally okay to have boundaries. Yeah. But in a respectful way. Of course, yeah. in a respectful way. And I think at the end of the day, like our parents do understand. What I've realized over the years is like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs where the bottom is shelter, food, you know, water. Yeah. Then you slowly work your way up. And at the very, very top is like Mm self-actualization. What I've realized with our parents is that they spent so much time at the bottom of the pyramid that they don't have the privileges that we do to get to the top and have this like, who am I? What am I trying to do in this world? Because they spent so many years just trying to survive. In our generation, we have like a leg up from our parents, but to them, they're still thinking like, oh my God, if we were to be gone tomorrow, how are you going to survive? And I think that's when the tiger parents in them like kick into, you know, turbo Survival. mode. Yeah, yeah. Because then they're just like, we just want you to have food on your table. We want you to be able to pay for your shelter and pay for your water. And in a way, like we're lucky because that's not always at the forefront of our minds. Like mm-hmm. that's not something we constantly need to be worried about. It is a driving factor, but I think that we are in this position where we're lucky enough to be able to figure out what we want. Talking to my parents now, as I'm older, I'm starting to realize they want me to explore this kind of creative side. They don't understand it. They're terrified of it, Mm -hmm. but it is something that they get excited about. Like when we weren't recording the podcast for a while, my dad asked me, he was like, hey, that podcast thing, like, are you guys doing that anymore? And when I told my mom, like, oh yeah, Christine and I are going to record a podcast. She was excited. She was like, oh, wow. Okay. So that's like still a thing that you guys are doing. So your parents love me. Obviously. (laughs) 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 But I think that they may not understand But when you come home and you're excited to tell them about this thing that you're doing, that excites them. And so fundamentally, the thing that sucks about our relationship with our parents is that we may never get that eye to eye understanding, Mm -hmm. but like we still can understand that emotion. We can still understand that like, oh, wow, she has that fire in her and I can see it burning bright. My parents are excited about that. And so I think that that's just something that we have to accept. But it doesn't mean that we can't talk about it with our parents. Like, I think our parents get excited when they hear about the things that we're up to and excited that we're venturing out of what they even dream to be possible. 
And that is all part of who we are, right? right? And that's all part of who we embrace and how we embrace. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times it is learning that you're here to learn as a human being from both your parents and from other people, but you can also be a teacher. Mm -hmm. That may be weird when it comes to your parents, (laughs) like, oh, I'm teaching my parents stuff, Mm -hmm. but you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that I really like what you said about self-awareness and self-actualization for them, because that does play into a lot of self-fulfillment. And I think they do have those questions. They just don't voice it to us. Mm -hmm. I think it's learning not only to bridge the gap for them in terms of like culture and language between America or society and them, it's also bridging the gap from what we're learning about self-actualization and voicing that with them because they also have the same thoughts Mm of, I'm not good enough. Am I doing enough? Am I being accepted? That's just a very common human element where a lot of times we just don't even think about that with our parents. Yeah, because we're like, oh, they're fine. They're fine. Yeah, Yeah. they're the ones who are imposing their opinions on us. Like they don't have these like crises. But I know that like with my mom, she has her own company. And so she can go throughout most of the day not speaking much English. But with my dad, he works at UCLA and he's like completely immersed in American culture. And I remember him getting super insecure about his accent. He has a Chinese accent, you know? And I think that some of the residents like wouldn't take him seriously. He was really, really insecure about that. And he's a professor who writes these papers and he's still like super insecure about his grammar and punctuation and all of that. Seeing that makes me realize my parents do have this whole other side that they don't talk about because they were taught not to. Yeah. They were taught not to show weakness because then other people can smell it. They were taught to (laughs) not come pray. Yeah. (laughs) Like lately, I've realized that my dad's accent has gotten a lot better. Like it's not very strong anymore. And when I read his papers and correct them now, they're really good. Mm. And I told him that and he was like beaming with pride. And so I think that seeing our parents as human beings, we all feel similar emotions and we may not act on them in the same way because we are our own individual people. But at the end of the day, we are a sum of our parents. We are who they are. When you start to tell them more about your stuff and you get them to open up, you start to see the similarities. Yeah, absolutely. And that you have compassion for their journey and what they've been through, even if they may not share it, but even just thinking my parents also have insecurities. They also have fears. Mm -hmm. They're a human being, Mm -hmm. you know? So even if they don't say it out loud, a lot of times when you think like that, if I am acting out of my own security, I'm projecting it on other people, then you can easily see it when other people are doing it. Definitely. Like, I think a lot of times, maybe with our first and second generation and immigrant parents, there's a lot of filling in the blanks Mm -hmm. because they don't tell you the story, right? So a lot of times you're just like, oh, they won't let me do this. They don't understand. But when you get older, trying to actually get that story out of them so that you can have more context to them as a human being will really help bring more of a humanness of what we're talking about to your parents and your relationship. It becomes less about like, you're my parents. I have to do as you say Mm -hmm. versus we can actually be friends. Yeah. You know, we're not talking about like white people friends. (laughs) (laughs) Not on that level but like there's definitely a friendship where there's mutual admiration there's Mm -hmm. compassion and Mm -hmm. desire to build a foundation that's beyond just like we're blood yeah and it was like oh you've been through this Mm -hmm. so this is why you're scared of bicycles 
<laughs> this is why yeah. like, we don't eat duck. You yeah. Know? And there's, think, an actual, there's like a story behind yeah, that. Yeah. I can see it from their perspective, right? Where they came to this country, had no idea what was going on, had us, and then they're just trying to protect us and shield us from everything. Yeah. But in some ways that shielding becomes suffocating, mm-hmm. especially when we're trying to learn how to fly. It's their defense mechanism to be like, no, 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 I'm a shelter. Growing up in an environment where you weren't able to speak up. And if you did, you could go to jail or be sent to labor camps or be killed even. Mm-hmm. I can see why their initial instinct is to be like, no, don't look. Yeah, no. Just keep to yourselves. Yeah. Keep your head down. Just do hard, good work mm-hmm. and things will work out, mm-hmm. which is not a bad lesson. It is not. It's just what they know. Mm-hmm. And for our takeaways, what I'm learning now is identity, who I am, what I'm supposed to do, social constructs and breaking barriers and all at the end of the day, just to simplify it all. And what I'm getting to the heart of is trying to show up as my best self. Mm-hmm. That is who I am. And that's an ongoing lesson. It's just being free to, I don't even say make mistakes, but not being afraid to fail mm-hmm. and tying that definition or the label of what failing means because Mm -hmm. it was taught to us within our culture that failing is embarrassing. It's, oh, shame, you know, dishonor. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, those are the ways that I'm going to learn. It's Mm going to shape me. My truth will come from that because it's from those things, from adversity and from seeing things and experiencing things that don't sit well, those feelings of not belonging and feeling this need to be accepted. Where does it come from? Actually questioning all of that. Self-actualization is what we're talking about. Your truth will naturally flow out from that. And then you can actually come from a place of not doubting yourself, but Mm -hmm. actually feeling empowered and coming from a place of I'm here to be my best self Mm -hmm. and to uplift others in the process. You know, I'm not here to compete with you. I'm not here to be like, I'm looking out for myself. I'm keeping my head down. I'm keeping to myself. If my truth is that I want to speak up for injustice, then I will, you know, not out of my need to be heard, to be important. It's just because it's my truth that this is where I stand in. And from that experience, you may learn something more about yourself. Mm -hmm. Perhaps your perspective of what that injustice is, something may be revealed to you. There's Mm -hmm. another story to that from the other side. Mm -hmm. But it is learning to be okay in those thoughts. You're not lost. A lot of people feel this way. And I will tell you the answer to that is connecting. And start with connecting within yourself, spending time with yourself, and not being so hard and judgmental. Mm -hmm. Taking that narrative away, what we've been brought up on, like always being so self-critical, forcing our ourselves to be humble, forcing ourselves to just keep quiet and, Mm -hmm. you know, do better. You're not enough. You're not enough. But if you can just learn to be comfortable within yourself, be patient so that the things that you give to yourself, you're able to give that to others. It's going to flow more naturally because Mm -hmm. the reason why we judge others is because we're judging ourselves. For sure. The reason why we're so jealous of other people is because we feel like we're not enough. Mm -hmm. So when you're coming from a place of, I'm really trying to learn to fill up my own well, that you can really come from a place of true support and empowerment for other people because you get to see how that empowers everybody. I feel like our generation and our kids in the future, it's all about raising our collective sense of awareness Mm -hmm. and consciousness. I loved everything that you said about our parents being, they were on survival mode. They had to do what they had to do. They didn't get to spend as much time in asking themselves these questions, exploring that. But I feel like we're able to. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we're only raising the consciousness for future generations. So you don't have to minimize yourself and just be confined in you're an Asian American person. Mm -hmm. Do this, do that. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. 
you're boundless, you're limitless. And we're here to support one another and really to support the entire world in understanding that we are all connected. Yeah. I really love what you said about like focusing on our strengths. I think we're so hypercritical all the time that we begin to lose ourselves in all of our insecurities and all of our failures. And we don't look at the things that we have accomplished. Connecting with other people and especially the ones who are close to you. I mean, it sounds weird to ask them like, oh, what do you think is my greatest strength? But I think that you learn so much about yourself that you otherwise don't see. Because I think that lately I've been going through like a pretty rough time and trying to figure out like, oh, who am I? What am I trying to do? And all that stuff. And in having these conversations with my friends, specifically my parents Mm -hmm. having them tell me like no 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 like you're focusing on the wrong things like you're not focusing on your strengths there are things that come naturally to us and those are our strengths because it comes naturally to us we don't see it as a strength we just see it as like oh that's just something I do Mm -hmm. but it's like to other people that's something that they can't and that's what makes you you Mm -hmm. and that's what you should focus on and that's what you should continue working on and building upon and knowing like hey that is something I can do well and showcasing that to the world and through that you'll find your voice and your opinions and things that you feel like are worth fighting for Mm -hmm. and that's where you will find your sense of self yeah and just knowing and standing in that you as you are without having to do anything just being you have Mm self-worth you are valuable there's nothing that you have to do to earn that from anybody or for yourself just standing in that you are enough and then going from there everything's a learning experience i guess when people ask me especially nowadays it's like oh how do i find my purpose what is my passion and all these things taking what regina just said it's like What is your gift that you can give to the world and be of service to other people? Mm -hmm. That is the greatest purpose and passion that you can try to learn more about that will give you more insight, not only for who you are, but for the entire world and how you can make it a better place. So with that, we're sitting in the dark now. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're glowing. Our internal spirit's glowing. As Asian American women. Yes. Yes. Oh my God, I just wanted to say that I am absolutely proud to be an Asian American woman, to be part of this time where we can say what we want to say yeah, and put it out into the world and have people be able to hear that. Like we can be heard to express ourselves creatively, even just to express ourselves. That's already, you know, there's so many blessings in our lives already. We live in a time where it's just a beautiful time to be at. So there's so many things that oftentimes I lose sight of because paying attention to things that really at the end of the day, it's not that important. Yeah. What a time to be alive. So yeah, I hope you guys each take this time to appreciate who you are, your ancestors who worked hard to allow you to be who you are and where you're at today. Just keep doing you. Keep having these conversations with yourself where you just really think about who you are, who you're trying to be and keep going. Keep trudging along and fighting for what you believe in. I think life is a precious thing and life goes by fast. Thank you guys so much for joining us again this week. We love your support. We love that you guys reach out to us and that we can connect with you guys, even though a lot of you guys we've never met, but it's almost like a sense of family. Like I already know you guys are like my brothers and sisters out there. Yeah, for sure. So then we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.